Hello, and welcome to Scary to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. As you probably noticed by now, this week is a much shorter episode than usual. To be completely honest, between work and the new Guided Nightmare, which is available on Patreon right now, and trying to figure out some ways to keep the show fresh, I got a pretty bad case of creative burnout this week. Also, my job works in a weird way where you have no idea when or even if you're working until the night before. And that could mean a 4-hour shift or, no joke, a 17-hour one. Could be a 4am call time or a 3pm one. And speaking of my weird job, I'm going to have to double up on recording some days in the, over the next few weeks. I was booked on a really cool new project that I can't talk about for a couple of weeks, so I think I just got overwhelmed with the thought of doing a whole lot of that, plus keeping on this recording schedule. But with all of that looming, I didn't want to leave you with nothing this week. Most of you already know that I am a one-woman team. This show is truly my baby, and I don't want to outsource her or entrust any of my sound editing to anyone. Not that I'm the world's greatest editor. It's just I'm a Virgo, and, well, to be honest, I just have a hard time letting anyone else take the reins. (laughs) I know some of you hate these long intros, you've said so in your reviews, I've just, I've been really trying to keep them shorter, but this week I wanted to explain this random short episode and what the next few weeks are going to look like. I should be getting something out to you every week, but there is a slight possibility I may have to skip one week. I will let you all know if that's the case, and I will make it up to you if I do have to skip a week, I promise. It's just that my normal real-life job has really gotten in the way, and like I said, just mental health-wise, I've been just kind of all over the place lately. Um, I hope now that the weather is cooling down in a certain in certain parts of the country, not here, but in other places I've seen some of you celebrating the beginnings of fall, it will inspire you guys to do some spooky creative writing. My back catalog of usable stories is actually getting a little low for the first time, hence some of my stress. (laughs) Oh, and you really don't need to email me to ask if you can send a story. Everyone can send a story. Not all stories will make it on the show. If yours doesn't, it usually has to do with me not being able to do enough voices for the amount of characters, or I'm just waiting to fit it into a more thematic episode. It usually has to do with my, the limits of my own abilities, since I don't have a full voice acting team. Remember, just send it to scarytosleep at gmail.com kids and teen stories deadline it actually i'm going to it was september 13th but i'm going to stretch it to september 22nd which is the day after my birthday due to my weird scheduling with work i'm actually (laughs) this more weird stuff came up and i'm actually having to go out of town to renew my driver's license it's a whole thing so I'm going to be out of town that weekend anyway, so I figured why not give you guys a few more days and I'm not going to, because I'm not going to be able to get to the episode to start um, editing it until that Monday. So take until September 22nd, consider it my birthday gift to you for my birthday. <laughs> okay. I'm really eager to hear from you guys too. Okay. Enough for me. Shut up, Shelby. Oh my God. Okay. On to the story. So this story is by Al Bruno III. You know him from his beautifully disgusting story about pimple popping called Ethel's Addiction. This one is equally as eccentric and fun in a very creepy way. It's about an awful man and a promise he broke to his late aunt. 
shapeless, white, trimmed with lace, and roughly the size of his head. Brett couldn't believe he had forgotten them, but there was nothing he could do about it now. The funeral was over, and Great Aunt Jill was in the ground. All that was left for him to do now was to pack up her two lifetimes worth of clothes and knickknacks for Goodwill or eBay. The house was his. Finally his. Still, though, he felt guilty about the whole underwear thing. Near the end, Great Aunt Jill had been worried to the point of paranoia about being buried in respectable garments. Please be sure to bury me in my blue church dress and my own underwear. Sometimes the undertakers don't bother and leave you nude under your clothes. She had actually said, nude under your clothes, and without a drop of irony. More than once, Brett had found himself burying his face to make sure she didn't see him roll his eyes. Still, though, Great Aunt Jill was gone. Her blue dress was gone, and being dragged to church every Sunday at eight in the morning was over. Brett decided he needed a little fresh air and walked onto the porch. His porch. It was still crowded with colorful plants and drab decorations. It would all go soon in favor of something a little more bachelory. It would all be going. The doilies, precious moments figurines, the paintings and statuettes depicting the suffering of Christ. He often wondered why there weren't any pictures of Jesus hanging out with his buds. Of course, he never wondered it aloud. Great Aunt Jill would have had a conniption. Once he felt refreshed enough and the smell of mothballs was gone from his nose, Brett headed back inside. He thought to himself that his life shouldn't have been this way, that at 24 he should have been out and on his own, and hopefully been knee-deep in pussy. But his parents had thrown him under the bus at 12 years old, and all just because he had shoplifted, got into a few fights, and been caught with marijuana at school that one time. Brett barely escaped juvenile detention or boot camp but for the grace of God and his parents' lawyer. When it had all blown over, Mom and Dad had shipped him off to his great-aunt Jill in Elmira, certain that she would be able to straighten him out. He now, in retrospect, felt that he should have taken his chances in juvie. After all, they would have had to let him go at 18. Great-aunt Jill was under no such restrictions. It took him a little while longer to clear out the last of her clothes. For a woman that only seemed to wear six or seven outfits her whole life, Great Aunt Jill sure had a lot of clothes stuffed into bureaus, dressers, and most of the closets. Once that was done, Brett started to break down her bed. He was done sleeping in the attic, but there was no way he was sharing a mattress with her, even after the fact. Soon enough, the room would be empty, and he could put in a waterbed or a widescreen TV, anything he wanted. He could afford it now. Brett remembered his parents dropping him off here to leave him in the care of a relative he only sought holidays and funerals. A relative he only remembered because of her bell-like shape and dry kisses. As soon as he'd finished waving goodbye to mom and dad, his new guardian laid down the house rules. No loud radios. No TV but educational programming. No video games. Lights out was at 10 and there was no lock on the bathroom door, so if she caught him pleasuring himself, he would find himself doing Hail Marys for an hour. That's when Brett made the mistake of asking her what a Hail Mary was. (sighs) A baker's dozen of Hail Marys later, she took him to his new room. 
It wasn't much more than a bed and a lamp and a chest of drawers in the attic. He could hear the wind whistling through the cracks in the attic windowsill and shivered a little in anticipation. His parents weren't really going to go through with this, were they? Once Great Aunt Jill's bed was broken down and waiting out on the curb for the trash man, Brett made sure all the closets and drawers had been fully emptied. He found a black and white photograph in the top drawer of his nightstand. It was of his great uncle John, who had apparently died a few years after his marriage. Everyone said it was a tragic accident, but Brett now suspected it had all been an elaborate escape attempt gone wrong. Brett tossed the photo and the Bible in the kitchen trash, already making plans for his Monday visit with the estate lawyer. Did he want all the money at once, or did he want to put it in some kind of trust that would invest for him and dole out cash like a paycheck? A really big paycheck, Brett thought as he decided to make a sandwich and have a beer. That's right, Jill. A beer. He tripped over something on his way to the refrigerator. Something tangled around the heel of his shoe. It was Great Aunt Jill's forgotten funeral underwear. Brett laughed to himself. He tossed the handful of cloth into the trash and got to work on that sandwich and beer. And he didn't use a single coaster or napkin. It made the meal taste even better. From ages 12 to 24, Brett learned a great many things beyond the basic necessities of survival, like keeping the house neat, his manners perfect, and how to sneak down into the basement laundry room at 1am so he could masturbate. Brett also learned that his parents weren't coming back for him, and he'd been written off. No, not written off. Sold off. Brett had found out that for all her frugal living and unwillingness to upgrade the cable TV, Great Aunt Jill was rich. Not super rich, but rich enough to never need anything. Rich enough to have family members coming to her with their hands out morning, noon, and night. However, since she was stingy, Great Aunt Jill stayed rich and got richer. And as far as Brett could figure, it was why he was stranded in Elmira, because his parents were trying to win Great Aunt Jill's heart and cash by giving her the one thing she never had. A son of her own to take care of and dote on and emasculate. It didn't matter how many times he begged to come home. It didn't matter that at every family gathering he felt himself drifting further and further from the emotional orbit of his parents and siblings, until they started to treat him with the same kind of cool affection they'd reserve for a third cousin. Or a great aunt. Now that she was gone, relatives were less reluctant to visit Great Aunt Jill's house, and they were all amazed and alarmed at how much the place had changed in the three months since her death. 1940s-era wallpaper and linoleum? Gone. Religious iconography? Gone. Threadbare non-leather furniture? Gone. Cool bachelor lifestyle? Well, he was working on that. Of course, when his relatives did come to call, the conversations always ended up reaching the subject of Great Aunt Jill's fortune. How much did she leave? What was he going to do with it? Could they borrow $500 to get their car out of the impound lot? Brett quickly discovered that the only thing better than having relatives beg you for money was saying no. 
especially to his parents. He wondered sometimes what left them more stunned. That Great Aunt Jill had managed to live for as long as she had, or that the boy they had given to her had somehow managed to wheedle his way into the entire inheritance. Do you want to come up for a while? She asked. The question sent Brett's pulse soaring. Her name was Melanie, and she was an assistant librarian, which Brett assumed meant she hadn't quite mastered the Dewey Decimal System yet. Although personally, he didn't care if she had a job gelding horses because she was cute, easy to talk to, and interested in him. It was only their first date, but somewhere between dinner and the show, they'd gone from hand-holding to kissing. He hadn't planned to take things too quickly, but Melanie had plans of her own. Once they were alone in her apartment, they wasted no time in finding their way to the bedroom. Shoes off, their bodies rubbed together. They panted nonsense words to each other between the kisses. Melanie wasn't his first, but this was the first time when he had been alone with a woman, and it hadn't felt furtive or clumsy. Brett peeled her clothes away, slowly savoring every moment of it. Her blouse and bra landed on the floor. He nuzzled the nape of her neck, his hands exploring. This girl was something, really something, but he couldn't quite imagine himself spending the rest of his life with her. But what's that old saying? That every girl was practice until the right girl came along? Well, as far as Brett was concerned, he was going to practice the shit out of this girl. Once he had exhausted himself with the possibilities of her exposed breasts, Brett reached down and undid the zipper of Melanie's skirt. By the time he had it off, she was cooing his name. Brett felt his body begin to tremble with anticipation. This was it. He hooked his fingers in the waistband of her panties. They were exactly the type of panties he would have expected to see an assistant librarian wearing. Shapeless, white, trimmed with lace. That thought was like a splash of cold water in all the wrong places. He looked back up the length of her, hoping it was a trick of the light, but no. She was wearing panties, just like Great Aunt Jill's. A thick, asexual square of fabric that covered her from crotch to navel. What's wrong? Melanie asked. I, I don't feel so... He dressed clumsily, jamming his feet back into his shoes and throwing on his jacket. I I'll call you. What's wrong? She called after him. He was already halfway down the stairs. What's the matter with me? Brett thought as he sped home. You blew it. And over what? Some underwear that she was going to let you take off her anyway? But it was more than that. Seeing that underwear had made him suddenly conscious of the woman again. Of all the restrictions, stress, and head games. He had spent the last six years of his life taking care of her and waiting for her to die. There was no way he was going to let Great Aunt Jill go to a nursing home so her estate could be nickel and dimed away to nothing. So he had played nursemaid. But playing nursemaid had left him with images of the woman's anatomy floating in his subconscious. The sight of those panties had brought one too many clumsy bedpan cleanups to his mind. All Brett wanted now was to get home and get blind, stinking drunk. He would have gone to a strip club, but the closest one he knew of was Utica. Police lights flared to life behind him. Oh, what the hell is this? 
Just because I have a red sports car and I'm going... He checked the speedometer. 40 miles an hour above the speed limit. Shit. Brett pulled over to the side of the road and tried to remind himself that he had a clean record. This was nothing. He would look back at all this someday and laugh. The officer asked, Sir, do you know how fast you were going back there? Brett shrugged. Pretty fast? Sorry? Could I get your license and registration, please? The license was in his wallet. The registration was in his glove compartment, buried under the old Burger Clown paper napkins, owner's manual, and CDs. He pawed through them, tossing Night Ranger and Limp Biscuit's greatest hits onto the seat beside him. The napkins were all stuck together somehow, and they all came out at once when he pulled at them. They were so old that they had become smooth to the touch and shapeless and white and trimmed with lace. Brett screamed. It took one ticket, field sobriety test, and a car search before the police let him go home. He wasn't sure how the panties had gotten there, but Brett figured he must have pulled them off Melanie when he ran from her place. The gentlemanly thing would have been to keep them to return to her, but Brett couldn't bear to have the things near him. He tossed them out the window of his car, and he made his way home at a safe and reasonable speed. A month later, Brett was jittery and teary-eyed every moment of the day. His newly swinging bachelor pad had become a slovenly ruin, even by the low standards set by bachelor pads. Wherever he went, he found them. He found them when he was folding laundry, when he was reaching for something to towel off with, and even that one time when he was in his psychiatrist's office, they had fallen out of a magazine along with all those subscription cards. Great Aunt Jill's panties hounded him at every turn. No, he thought. Not just them, it's her. She's haunting me. And Brett thought he knew why. Please be sure they bury me in my blue church dress and my own underwear. Sometimes the undertakers don't bother and leave you nude under your clothes. So she wanted her damn granny panties, did she? Well, he would see to it that she got the damn things. Brett was sure he had everything he needed. Flashlight, shovel, and crowbar. He would have preferred not to go on such a dark and stormy night, but he'd caught the panties lounging insolently on the dish rack and knew it was now or never. It was a little after 1 a.m. when he reached the cemetery. A half hour later, he found an out-of-the-way spot that he could use to sneak in. The cold rain soaked him to the skin. The thunder and lightning was disorienting, but he found Great Aunt Jill's tombstone soon enough. The storm had left the ground soft for digging, but it was still a long and back-breaking process. Every time he thought he was making progress, one side of the grave would fall in and he would have to start all over again. When the coffin was uncovered, he took a moment to rest. The parts of his body that weren't clammy and cold were sore and aching. He wondered to himself if it would be enough to just leave the granny panties in the coffin with her, or if Great Aunt Jill really expected him to slip them on her. Well, I'm here. May as well go all the way. He grabbed the crowbar and started to pry open the coffin lid. He cursed himself for getting such an expensive casket, but eventually his persistence was rewarded with the sound of wood cracking 
Brett opened the coffin. The stench was worse than he could ever imagine, both rancid and stale. Bile filled his mouth, his eyes watered. He forced himself to finish the job. There was no turning back now. He reached into his jacket pocket, but the panties weren't there. He tried the other, still nothing. No, Brett said as he checked each pocket a second and third time. Oh, no, 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 no. They were gone. Did they escape? Scrambling out of the grave, Brett looked all around the opening of Great Aunt Jill's final resting place for that scrap of cloth. Nothing, nothing at all, he thought. Are they back in the car? Did I leave them at home? What am I going to do? Then Brett realized, and he started tearing at himself. The crack of thunder swallowing his choking cries. The next morning, the cemetery caretaker ran into his office and dialed 911. I need the police down at Morningside Cemetery. Someone dug up one of the graves and there's this young man lying dead just a few feet away. Yes, he's dead. I know a dead man when I see one. But you wouldn't believe what he's wearing. Thanks for listening. A quick thank you to Jeffrey for the suggestion of using the levelator. Nicola, if you're listening, I got your email about Serbian folktales, but the email address you left in the contact form didn't go through, so I would love to hear those tales, though, if you could send me another email. I hope you guys noticed the show was ad-free. Did you really think I was going to put an ad on a short episode? I wouldn't do that to you guys. Now to shout out my beautiful Patreon patrons. Remember, for as little as a dollar a month, you can have full access to all of my bonus episodes. Maggie De La Rosa, Emily Munoz, MJ Van Steenberg, Katie Baggett, Marcy Lynn, Leticia Sanchez, so glad to have you back, and Nancy Whittington Coates. Thank you all so much. You have no idea how much your contributions and your support means to me. I'd like to send a quick thank you to my beautiful and talented friend, Karen. She revamped my whole website, you guys. If you haven't been to scarytosleep.com recently, just give it a quick look because Karen really blew me away with how great it looks and I love her so much. Remember, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, and Reddit. I think that's all. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.